Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 to 3, and the theme for this morning's message, what is faith and why do you need it? Hebrews 11, verse 1 to 3. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that your word, sharper than any two-edged sword, would now pierce to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. And with your all-seeing eye, you would search our hearts, expound the word to us and expose our hearts to it to the light of Scripture and to the gazing eye of your Spirit to show us the intentions of our heart, to show us what is not right in our hearts and to plant your truth in us and to shape our hearts and fashion them in the likeness of Jesus Christ that we may with endurance run the race and keep the faith and fight the good fight. Amen. If you ask what is faith, some people would say it's wishful thinking. Faith is the kind of thing that children do when they believe in the tooth fairy or in Santa Claus. Or some would say <coughs> faith is something you do when you don't have any facts and so you simply have to believe. Fortunately, that's not what the Bible means when it uses the word faith. Let's see what it does mean. Number one, we're going to look at the definition of faith. Verse one. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. If you go to the doctor and your doctor says to you, you need to do cardiovascular exercise, well, you, you'd like to know what the word cardio, cardiovascular means. And the same when the writer to the Hebrews says in, at the end of chapter 10, verse 38, the righteous one, my righteous one shall live by faith. The end of verse 39, those who have faith and preserve their souls, well, then you want to know what faith means. What is this faith? And that's what we read in verse 1. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that faith is a leap in the dark. Faith is not, it's not a blind act or action. Faith is based on certain facts, cold and hard facts. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, someone may ask, but how do you know faith is based on facts, it's grounded on facts, if it's grounded on facts you cannot see? Because verse 1b said, the conviction of things not seen. Well, the reason we know the unseen things are real is because Jesus came from heaven. He came down from heaven and told us about these unseen things. Now, someone might say, but how do you know Jesus is not lying to us? Especially since many people have said that they're the, they're the Messiah, they're the anointed one of God, they're some special messenger from God. 
Well, the reason we know Jesus is really the Messiah is because of his miracles, because of his works. Uh, Nicodemus in John 3 said to Jesus, We know that you are a teacher come from God or sent from God, because no one can do the works you do unless God is with him. Or in John 5, verse 36 and 10, 37 and 38, or 14, verse 11, Jesus said, Even if you don't believe me, at least believe the works that I do, that you may know I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or I am sent from God. Now, perhaps you say, well, I don't believe Jesus' miracles. I don't believe they're real. I don't believe they're true. Why not? Is it because you only believe things you can perceive with your five senses, things you can touch and see and hear and smell and taste? Is it because you say, I only believe what can be proven scientifically? Well, what about your emotions? What about your thoughts? Can you prove them scientifically? Can you prove and perceive with your senses what you think? Can you smell your thoughts or see your thoughts or taste your thoughts or touch your thoughts or hear your thoughts? What about invisible molecules? Did molecules only start existing when people discovered them? So for thousands of years, molecules did not exist until people discovered them. Well, that's, that doesn't sound very scientific to me. You're probably one of those people who believe in the Big Bang then. You believe in the Big Bang, you believe in macroevolution. Can you perceive it with your senses? Can you perceive with one of your five senses that a speck exploded and brought everything into being? Can you perceive with your five senses that no life is the cause of all life? Can you perceive with your five senses that the information in the human DNA comes from nowhere? Can you perceive with your five senses that a single cell evolved over millions of years and eventually changed into the complex human body? That's not scientific. You can't prove those things in the lab and you can't perceive it with your senses. It seems that you're the one with blind faith. And then you laugh at Christians who have, a, who have a, a historical record of Jesus' life and miracles and his death on the cross and his resurrection. Or perhaps you say, well, I don't believe that the New Testament gives us an accurate record of Jesus. Why not? Why not? Is it because you think that the New Testament is not as complete as other ancient documents? Do you believe the history of Rome? Of the Roman Empire, of Roman, of Roman emperors, you believe that? For instance, the annals of Tacitus, the Roman historian, do you believe those? Why? We only have two manuscripts. And then you reject the New Testament, but we have 5,664 manuscripts found in different places at different times, and yet they agree 99.5%. Perhaps you have a problem with a 0.5%, do you? Oh, there are differences, there are discrepancies, 0.5%. Why do you want to throw away the whole Bible because of 0.5% difference in New Testament manuscripts? Especially if the differences have to do with spelling of names or with perhaps copyist errors that changes no doctrine of Scripture. Why do you believe other ancient documents? You put them above Scripture, above the Bible. But they were copied hundreds of years, centuries, 
after the original documents were written, and yet, when we come to the New Testament, we have a fragment from the Gospel of John, chapter 18, it was found only decades, probably 25 years or 30 years after the Apostle John wrote it. But you don't believe that. Why do you doubt the biblical record of Jesus if hundreds of people saw Jesus, thousands of people, and they can testify to the truth of his life and his death, and hundreds of witnesses can testify to the truth of his resurrection. They saw him. They even touched him. And even Jesus' enemies cannot deny and did not deny his miracles. They saw his miracles and they hated him for it. And then millions of people throughout history have been changed radically, permanently, visibly when they believed in Christ. May it be, may it be perhaps that you are rejecting Jesus and you are rejecting the Bible because you're afraid of going against the current of going upstream, of being different. In other words, you're a people pleaser, like Jesus told, told the Pharisees in, in John 5, 44, the Jewish leaders. It's because you seek the praise of men that you will not believe. You're too afraid, what will, what will your buddies say? What will people say? What will your colleagues say? What will learned people say? Or John 12, Verse 42 and 43, many of the Pharisees believed, but they were afraid to say it, afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue, afraid because the Pharisees reject Jesus. Or do you reject the Bible because it really puts its finger on a, on a raw nerve? You reject the Bible because it puts its finger on your sin, and it points out your sin and shines the light on your sin. And... If the Bible is true, you cannot live as you please. Well, in the end you reject Scripture because you're spiritually blind. You cannot see. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 37, verse 43, verse 47, this is the reason you won't believe. My word finds no place in you. You will not believe. You do not want to believe. And Satan is blinding you. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. And so you will always reject the Bible, even if you have a thousand proofs right before your eyes. Jesus said to the Pharisees in a parable in Luke 16, 31, you have Moses and the prophets, you have God's word, you will not believe, even if someone should rise from the dead. Well, apart from the fact that you will not believe the Bible, you can't believe it. You cannot believe the Bible until God opens your eyes. Faith, faith is not a natural ability. Faith is a supernatural gift of God. So without the working of God's Holy Spirit in your heart, you will never believe. Jesus said, no one knows the Father except the Son, and no one knows the Son except the Father and those to whom He chooses to reveal Him. God speaks, let there be light. Faith is a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Philippians 1, 29. Now someone may ask, but, but does it really matter? Does it really matter if I reject the invisible things that Scripture speaks of? Yes, it does matter. 
It does matter because faith is the difference between heaven and hell. Faith and unbelief, the, the difference between those is the difference between, difference between heaven and hell. Chapter 10, verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Number two, the heroes of faith. Verse 2. For by faith, the people of old received their commendation. Now, a hero is someone who is very courageous and very brave in spite of danger. And it's someone who accomplishes great things. So the hero's strength lies in himself, like the mythological or the mythical, what's the correct English word, um, the legendary Hercules, a man who didn't exist, but he was a hero and his strength lay in himself. But it's not the same when we speak of the heroes of faith. Their strength did not lie in themselves. And they are not mythological figures. They're not myths, they're historical figures. But their strength didn't lie in themselves. They believed in the Lord and His power worked through them so that they were able to accomplish great things. And that's the point of Hebrews 11. So, we can say then, because faith focuses on God and not on our own abilities, God gets the glory. It's not the hero of the faith that gets the glory. It's God that gets the glory because the hero of the faith trusted in God and it was God's power working through him or her. And it's for this reason that God commends them, verse 2. He commends these heroes of the faith because they trusted in him. It's as if God says, be like these people. Be like them. Don't trust in your own strength. Don't trust in your own abilities. Trust in me. Trust in my son. Trust in my spirit. Trust in my word. And it's because they look to God alone and do not trust in themselves that he rewards them. Verse 6. Without faith it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. To tell you the truth, uh, faith is really the fountain of every other privilege, of every other gift in the Christian life. And I've got many cross-references here. I'm just going to run through them. From faith flows the following. God's life in you, Colossians 2 verse 12. A right standing with God, Romans 3. Galatians 2 16, Philippians 3 verse 9. In other words, justification. From faith flows access into God's presence, Romans 5 to Ephesians 3 12. The salvation of sinners, being saved from sin and Satan and hell. Acts 16 verse 31, Ephesians 2 verse 8 in context. So also to, to just go further with that one, from faith flows this privilege of being protected against the devil and his cohorts of conquering the world and the temptations of the world. Ephesians 6.16 speaks of the shield of faith. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 1 Peter 5 verse 9 speaks of faith and that is how we resist the devil and 1 John 4 or 5 at least verse 4 and 5 speaks of our faith conquering the world 
and conquering the temptations of the world. From faith flows sanctification, having a pure heart, being set apart for, for God. Acts 59 and 26 verse 18. From faith flows Christ dwelling in us, Christ living in us by faith. Ephesians 3.17, the Holy Spirit living in us by faith. Galatians 3 verse 2 and verse 14. Acceptance or adoption into God's household, Galatians 3.26, is by faith. Being fearless, being courageous, having peace, having joy comes from faith. Hebrews 11.27, Mark 5.36, Romans 5.1, Romans 15 verse 13. From faith flows, accomplishing the impossible through prayer. Verse 33 to 35a of Hebrews 11. Hebrews 10.22. Matthew 21 verse 21 and 22. Mark 5.34. 10.52. James 5.15. The prayer of faith. Believing when we pray. Moving mountains through our prayers. From faith flows. Divine works. Miracles. And then also the effective use of our spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 3, Galatians 3, 5. From faith flows steadfastness and perseverance. Hebrews 11, 35b to 38. Hebrews 10, 39. Those who have faith and preserve their souls. Romans 11, verse 21, Peter 1, verse 5. From faith flows Christian freedom. Romans 14, verse 1. Speaks of people who are weak in faith. In other words, those who are strong in faith have a certain liberty. Their consciences aren't bound by things that are not forbidden or commanded in Scripture. In other words, gray areas. They're free. They understand. I have freedom in this area. From faith flows the appropriation, the receiving of God's promises. Hebrews 6 verse 12. From faith flows a deeper relationship with God. Hebrews 11 verse 5. Uh, referring to Enoch who walked with God and then from faith flows good works James 2 the second half of the chapter and from faith flows Christian virtues 2 Peter 1 verse 5 to 7 so let us if, if, if these things all flow from faith we shouldn't aim at going for and getting and receiving the privileges of the Christian life we should aim at having faith but even, even I'd go further and say, no, we shouldn't aim at having faith. Even though all these, all these privileges flow from faith and come from faith, don't even aim at having faith. Aim at having Christ through faith, by faith. Because if you have Christ, you have everything. But don't be content. Do not be satisfied of merely having these things at the beginning of your Christian life, when you believe in Jesus, when you are converted, strive to keep on believing, to have a deeper faith, growing in faith. How do you do that? Ask for it. Like the disciples did in Luke 17, Lord, they said to Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. And then pray for this and give yourself to prayer. That's how we grow in the faith, according to Jude 20, by praying in the Holy Spirit. And then take in more and more of God's word. Because the more you take in, the more you have to believe. The more you can believe. The more promises you have to believe. Faith comes by hearing. And what we hear is the word of Christ. I've written these things to you that you may believe. 
that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the Christ, and by believing you may have life in His name. So the Scriptures are written that we may have faith. And then spend time with those who are strong in the faith. So those who are still alive, Christians who are alive, spend time with them in Christian fellowship. Spend time with them in prayer. And in this way your faith increases and grows. As Paul told Timothy, follow my example. Follow my faith. Follow my faith. Pursue faith with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And then also spend time with Christians who are no longer alive through biography, Christian biography, read Christian biography, read biblical biographies, read scripture, read the examples of, of the saints in scripture, read the lives of Christians in church history. That's the point of Hebrews 11. Hebrews 13 verse 7, remember that your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Faith. And then learn from the mistakes and from the sins and the errors of those who have little faith. And then confess your own unbelief as sin. And say to the Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. If you have even a little faith, you can accomplish the impossible. If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, Jesus said, you can say to this mulberry tree, uproot yourself and cast yourself and plant yourself in the sea. So that, again, that just proves to us the strength and the power does not lie in our faith, but in the one we believe in. Number three, the foundation of faith. Verse three. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now many people who call themselves Christians, or let's say some people, there are some people who call themselves Christians but they do not believe the Bible. They, they even go so far as to start with the very first chapter of the Bible and reject that. They reject it and say, no, the first chapter of the Bible is just poetry. It's just poetry. We shouldn't take it literally. It's not history. And without realizing it, they are busy undermining their own faith. Because it is by faith we understand the truth of Scripture. It's by faith we understand the truths of Genesis 1, the very first chapter of the Bible. Verse 3 again, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. That's Genesis 1. What does Genesis 1 teach us? It teaches us about God. It teaches us that God is Almighty. He created the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, the sea, and everything in it teaches us that God is wise. He created different kinds, many different kinds. He, he created animals who can swim and, and creatures that can fly. teaches us how God in His wisdom created plants and animals and humans to reproduce. It teaches us that God is good. He created light for the eyes to see. He created the day to work and the night to rest. And He created food. And he created marriage between a man and a woman. And from the fruit of that marriage, he created children. He gives children. That's the goodness of God. 
And this is the God who speaks. He's a God who speaks. He created everything by His Word. Jesus Christ. Verse 3, by faith we understand the universe was created by the Word of God. And that's a refrain in Genesis 1. And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. Constantly speaking. Speaking things into existence. Psalm 33 teaches the same, and John 1 tells us that word is Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Everything was created by him, and without him was not anything, nothing or not anything was created without him. And then uh, further down in John 1 it says, and the word became flesh in verse 14. So God did not create the world and the universe from pre-existing material, from matter, God just spoke. He spoke. He is not like a, a carpenter that uses wood to make a table. God created everything from nothing. End of verse 3. What is seen was made, was not made out of things that are visible. Romans 4 verse 17 says, second part of the verse, God gives life to the dead. He calls into existence the things that do not exist. So before Genesis 1 verse 1, there was not oxygen. There was not hydrogen. There were no molecules. There was not big, open, black space, empty space. It was only God. Now that does not mean that God took a part of himself to create everything, because otherwise we have to say that, that all of creation is partly God, it's partly divine, and then God is in everything, and everything is in God, like Hindus believe, uh, pantheism, or like liberals believe, panentheism, which says uh, God, is, God is in everything, and everything is in God. So God isn't everything, and everything isn't God, but He's in everything, and everything is in Him. So, in other words, it's like, it's like Oros concentrate, when you when you make juice and you take the concentrate and you mix it with water, now you've mixed it with the water and now you cannot distinguish between the two. Now you cannot say this is water and this is oros. They're now mixed. They're one. And then these people say God is in everything. Everything is in God, which would obviously then mean that God is also in Satan and Satan is in God and then there's no... You can't discern between the two and there's no difference between the two. And that is absurd. That is absurd. That's ridiculous. God is involved in all of creation. He upholds all of creation. Psalm 104, Hebrews 1 verse 3. But God is not the same as creation. God existed before creation. God created everything from nothing. Verse 3. Things that do not exist. So there's a very clear distinction between God and creation. Now perhaps you, you question and you doubt the truth of Genesis 1. But let me ask you a question. How do you believe everything came into being? Where did it come from? And can you prove it? Or, or is yours also just, it's just a blind faith? And it doesn't measure up to the reality you see around you. At least Christians, well, they don't believe that a dragonfly's wings or the order of our solar system just happened, happened, just happened by accident, by chance, from chaos, 
No, we believe that an all-wise, intelligent, and almighty God created it and designed it. But how do we know? How do we know God did it as Genesis 1 tells us? Because he's the only one who was there. He's the only one who can tell us. So therefore, we believe his version of how things came into being. We believe his version as it's written in Genesis 1. And that's the point of verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Well, perhaps you deny all of this. You deny, no, there's, there's no beginning to the universe at all. It was just always there. Well, that is not a sufficient answer. That is not satisfying at all. Because we know that every single thing in creation, every single thing in the universe, there's cause and effect. So a tree, for instance, comes from a seed, which comes from a tree, which comes from a seed, which comes from a tree, which comes from a seed, which comes from a tree, which comes from... And you, you get the picture. So somewhere, there had to be a beginning. So the question is, who created the first tree? Or who planted the first seed? That's the question. And perhaps you say, well, if, if everything has a beginning, then God must also have a beginning. Who created God? And the answer is no one. There are only two options. Either you believe that matter, everything in the universe, that matter is eternal, or you believe that God is eternal. And according to scripture, matter had a beginning, God did not. Before the mountains were created, before God brought forth the earth, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Psalm 90 verse 2. So if you're a, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, then you know that's true. And that's what you believe. And you know the Bible is not merely the words, it's not the words of men, it's the word of God. And so you, you don't give much thought to people who, who make this superficial distinction and really a false distinction when they say, we believe in Christ, we don't believe in the Bible. No, no. That's a superficial and false distinction. We believe the Bible because it's the word of Jesus Christ. And so therefore we accept it from the very first verse. In Genesis 1 verse 1, we accept it as the foundation of our faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a marvelous word. What a marvelous truth. What riches we draw from Scripture. Oh Lord, would you plant these things and settle them in our hearts and build our feet upon the rock of your word, your holy word. And then help us to submit and subject ourselves to the word of the Almighty God. Guide our feet in the path of righteousness and obedience. And teach us to walk humbly with our God. Amen.